been blessed so far in our worship time, why don't you go ahead and give God all the praise you can in this place. Thank you, praise team. Thank you, media ministry, our ushers, our greeters, and each and every one of you, my brothers and sisters in Christ. It is good to be here, for this is the day the Lord has made, and we ought to rejoice and be and be glad in it. I invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word to the epistle of James. If this is your first time with us, we've been going through a series through this rich, rich, practical book that challenges us as believers to support our belief by our behavior. Uh, James doesn't uh, beat around the bush. He cuts to the chase. This half-brother of Christ challenges the church that we ought to continually examine ourselves that we are growing in our Christ-likeness. So I want to um, encourage you, as you would in uh, a theme park, or any of you ever rode a roller coaster before? All right, if you've ridden a roller coaster before, then I just want you to to strap in. Uh, There are some parts of this ride that you will not enjoy. But it will be good for each and every one of us. As we look at God's Word, we're going to be in the fourth chapter of James. And James begins with an inquiry. In that fourth chapter, the first verse, the question is asked, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scriptures say he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter turn to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judge, his brother, speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? This, my brothers and sisters, is the word of the Lord. This word of the Lord is not written, as I told you before, if you've been with us in this series, this letter is not written to those who are outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. This letter is written to those who constitute the church. 
those of us who have been gripped by God's grace, those who profess to love Christ Jesus, those who are a part of the church, the body of Christ. Is there anyone here who's accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Anyone here who knows that forgiveness is through Jesus Christ alone, that we receive his grace? because of God's goodness. If indeed you have been a recipient of the gift of salvation, Mary Willie, the text tells us that this message, Kim, this message is for, for you and I. And so I want us to go prayerfully into this word as we seek out how to cure conflicts. We seek out how to cure conflicts. Would you pray with me? Father, we humble ourselves in your mighty presence as you've allowed us to praise you and gather in this sacred space also to hear from you. We ask that you would speak ever so clearly to us, that your Holy Spirit would rest, rule, and reign in this time and in our lives, that you would so impact our hearts with the seed of your word that it would take root and produce fruits of application in our lives, that our lives may give you glory. Help us to love you better and love each other more. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I know as I look at your Christian faces, I know that as soon as I said conflict, you had no recollection of what that was. I know, I know, I can tell. Some of you look like you've been saved since you were six days old. And so when I said anything about conflict, uh, you, you, you just detached from this. You said, oh, no, this message is not for me. But if you had any experience like I've had growing up in a Christian home with uh, three sisters, and I'm my mother's favorite son, um, in that context, you can understand that there was some conflict. Now, it wasn't my fault. But there was some conflict in that home from time to time. If you had parents like I've had, old school parents, I know you're listening, Mom, um, but you can attest to this truth. Um, there's been some, some conflict. Oh, but just in case you want to leave me out here on this ledge by myself. Those of you who have been married for a little while. I, I'm talking about those who've been married for a week or more. I know, I know, as I see my, my big little sister here, I, I know that, that somewhere down the line, don't nudge them right now, they're sitting next to you, don't, don't look at them, don't even squeeze their hands. In fact, just hold your own hand, squeeze your own hand, because there has been some conflict. I would zero in on my newlyweds right there, but I, I didn't really intend to do that. I mean, but I know, I, you had good premarital counseling, I know that there hasn't been any conflict now, I know there may be some heated fellowship, but I know there hasn't been any. I know that. Conflict seems inevitable. I mean, when you have more than one sibling, Scott, it seems that conflict is natural. When you've been living and you're two different individuals coming from two different uh, cultures and contexts, and you're living in the same domicile, no matter how long you've been living together, um, if you're not careful, if you want to tell the truth in here, it's natural to experience some kind of conflict. If you uh, have been working in a workplace, and even though you are Christian and you love all your co-workers, if you're honest in here, sometimes your co-workers can cause some 
conflict. If you've been in school for a while and that classmate that's yours, uh, that you used to be friends, but all of a sudden something comes in, they wear the same outfit that you wore the same day, and all of a sudden, I'm talking about the girls, though, um, there, there's, there can be conflict. Conflict may be natural, but conflict is not God-honoring. Conflict may come as a consequence to what's at the core of each of us, but understand conflict is against God's will for us. I'm telling you, you read, you read it in text, didn't you? Right there, he asked the question, where does your quarrels and your conflict come from? Here's the answer. Our quarrels, our conflict comes from our selfish passions. Notice I include myself in that. I said our selfish passions. See, what God is aiming for us requires that we take assessment of our own lives. This is not a time to, to evaluate someone else's life. This text is calling us, challenging us to evaluate our own lives and have an ongoing assessment of some of the chronic confrontations and unchristlike characteristics that every now and then creep up into the church or even into the Christian. Let me help you. You see, when peace is absent, we must assess the direction of our passions that we pursue. Because whenever peace is absent in any area of our lives, then conflict, chaos will exist. And here's the truth, brothers and sisters. To resist evil, we must submit to God in everything. And this is where we are as we examine our own lives because the text challenges us to recognize our sin, repent from our sin, and, with our, and look at our passions and make sure that our passions are geared toward our relationship with God and others. Because conflict internalized impacts external realities. Ah, it's, it's there. Look, look, look at the words that, that James uses when he... He, he approaches this, and at first, through the third verse, he says, your passions and, and your desires. That conflict comes from your passions, your desires. Listen, it is in us to be chaotic. It's in us to create confusion. I, I just knew I was going to get some amens right there. I just knew that was there. But if we're going to, to find and discover the cure for our conflicts, the first thing we must, must do is recognize the cause of conflict is from the sinful side of us. You do understand that uh, before you came to Christ, uh, you, were, you were under the influence of sin and the devil. You were in bondage. We were in bondage to sin, and sin moved into our flesh, and our flesh led us to do some things that were ungodly. Well, not when you come to Christ, you receive the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit that indwells your life, but guess what? Who is still dormant with you? Guess who's still resident inside of you. That fleshly spirit is also there. Don't look at anybody right now. I'm just talking about you and me. It's just you and I in the room here. That in us, we have two warring spirits, the flesh and the spirit. 
Somebody say, I know that's right. That means you read your Bible because Titus 3 and 3 says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Uh, Paul says in Romans, you might relate to this, in Romans, the seventh chapter in the 21st verse, he says, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, hmm, anybody knows that? Evil lies close, King James says, evil is ever present for I delight in the law of God in my inner beings, but I see that in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members, wretched man that I am. Who can deliver me from this body of death, this internal conflict? Who can help me? Look at verse 25. He says, thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh. I'm still struggling with, with sin. Oh, don't get this thing twisted. You may, have been, you may have come to Christ and are saved, been baptized, been following the Lord, uh, and during this sanctification process, you're becoming more Christ-like each and every day. But don't get this thing twisted. If you look at your life closely, you realize that you are still struggling with sinfulness. Mm-hmm. What causes quarrels and fights among you? says, at the core, at the core is pride. It's wanting, it's that Burger King mentality, wanting it our way. At the core of our quarrels is it's pride. It's in all its distinctions and demonstrations. Pride in all of its dispositions. Pride is sin. Pride puts priority on self above everything else. Pride says, pride says, I am the most important. It's, it's selfish. It's self-absorbed, self-seeking. Uh, pride likes to participate in self-worship, believes that it is self-made. If you look closely at it, you realize it is self-centered. It suffers from self-aggrandizement. Because pride is all about self. To the degree, Drew, that pride operates with a selfie mentality. It takes it, it's all about me. It's all about what I want and how I look and how I can, can go forward. That's pride. The question is, how many relationships remain damaged due to having too much pride to say I'm sorry? to say, please forgive me. How, how many friendships now are still in shambles because no one wants to, to compromise? How many marriages are, are on the rocks, are, are on the verge of, of, of being uh, divorced because no one wants to, how did he say that, uh, submit one to another? In fact, let me help you here. Brothers and sisters, let's go ahead and practice this. Are you ready? I want you to practice this with me. Are you ready? 
Okay, I'm glad you're ready. Three of you are ready. So those online listening, if you're ready, I want you to practice this. Say, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Try one more time. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Now, fellas, I'm trying to help you, okay? This will come in handy um, as you, you navigate this journey of life with your loved one. But I want you to catch this. Because when he's talking to us, saints of God, he's challenging us to examine ourselves. And one of the, one of the clearest ways to see whether or not you are suffering from the dysfunction of pride is to identify the symptoms. And the symptoms often reveal themselves are detected by your prayer life. That's really what James says. He says, because when you pray, you ask and you do not receive. He says, because you ask wrongly with the wrong motives. It's something is revealed in your prayer life. That if your prayer life is all about your wants and your desires and what you like, uh, your will and your way, then your prayers are filled with pride. It creates uh, chaos and causes conflict. And yet, when the disciples saw Jesus, they asked Jesus, they said, Jesus, uh, don't teach us how to do miracles. Don't teach us how, how, to, how to, to rest. Teach us how to pray. And Jesus said, when you pray, say, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Because effective prayers desire God's will over our own personal will. That, that we can identify it. It reminds me of that story that Jesus told in Luke 18 when he talked about the Pharisee and the tax collector. They both, you may not read it when you get home, Luke 18. He talks about the Pharisee and the tax collector and they go into the temple together. They go to church together. And the Pharisee, when he gets in, he, he sees and scopes out everybody who's in the worship. And as he looks at everybody who's in the worship, he, I'm going to paraphrase it. He said, God, thank you so much. I'm not like them. Mm -hmm. uh, but the tax collector, when, when, when he went in, he, he also offered a prayer, and he said, God, have mercy upon me because I'm a sinner. And Jesus says, who do you think went home justified? It was the one who was humbled before the Lord. Therefore, you ought to humble yourself before the Lord that he will exalt you. Our conflicts come when we try to put ourselves above each other, not realizing that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory. God. All of us are recipients of God's grace. All of us are in the same boat. And we all need God's gift of grace. So we have to recognize, we have to recognize the cause of conflict is from that sinful side of us. But then he challenges us as we recognize it that we also must renounce worldly alliances. It's right there in the text. When he says, you adulterous people, he says, don't you know that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? Catch that text, that if you're friends with the world, you are an enemy of God? I mean, there are certain people I don't mind stepping up to. Not, don't, don't get me wrong. Don't get this thing twisted. Um, I've been, I haven't been saved all my life, and uh, just because I'm a preacher don't mean that we can't. I'm, I'm just saying. I'm just saying where I come from. Um, uh, and so if you step to me, then... I tell y'all too much. Um, I'm going to turn the other cheek. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, um, yeah, pray for me. 
pray, pray, pray real hard, pray real hard. But, but check what he says. He says that if we are friends with the world, worldliness, ungodliness, if it is familiar to us that we are drawn to it more than we are drawn to God, that we have an affinity for those passions of our natural flesh instead of the desires of the Holy Spirit, he says we put ourselves in opposition to God. Mm, you, you, your arms are too small to say to box with God. And yet that's what we do when we don't renounce worldly alliances. First John tells us, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh and the desire of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. Uh, I read a quote recently from Paul Tripp, and check out what he said. He says, our problem with one another is not first that we do not love one another enough. Our problem is first that we do not love God enough. Because if we are more committed to the sinfulness of our fleshly nature, to the worldliness of those who have no knowledge of God, if we're more committed to that lifestyle, then we have changed sides, not realizing that we ought to wear the jersey that says Christ. Why is this important? Why is it important for us to renounce the world and our worldly affections? Because of the gift of grace. Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have to renounce our worldly attractions and affections and redirect those affinities to Almighty God. Ah, see, that's the thing about, about James. You know, in, in, in the previous uh, service, in, in our chapel service, uh, one of the members, as she was walking out, bless her heart, I told her I was going to tell everybody uh, what she said, because uh, she said it publicly, so I, I, could, I could use it, uh, and she said I could. Uh, she was walking out, and she said, uh, Pastor, you know, it's been rough every Sunday. I said, yeah, God's Word do that sometimes. I know there are times when we, we celebrate uh, the goodness of God as we should, but there are some times when, when God will have us do a self-examination and deal with the reality that we are not where we ought to be, and he's challenging us that there's some things we got to let go, y'all. There's some things we have to renounce. There's some practices that we say, that's just me. No, that's not me. The Holy Spirit's in me, and the Bible says, great is he that's in you than he that's in the world. The question is, will you love God more? more than you love that thing? Will you love God more than you love sinfulness? Will you love? That's a question I'm asking. Will you love God more? Mm. Because if we're going to love him more, we've recognized that we received God's grace. You receive God's grace that you realize in your life 
God has been good to you. Grace, it is God's favor, unmerited favor. When you realize in your life that you didn't deserve it, but God saw you in your state of need and he rescued you. You, you received God's grace like Peter did when he stepped out on the water to be with Jesus, wanted to be in fellowship with Jesus, but then he got distracted looking at the winds and the waves. And the Bible says in that moment, he began to sink. Have you been there before where you were sinking in your sin? That was a song we used to sing back in the day. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful. Anybody grew up in church here? Far from the peaceful shore, very deep and staying with it, seeking to rise no more. But the master of the, of the waves heard my despairing cry, and from the waters he lifted me. Now safe am I. You know it? Love love lifted me. Here's the reality that when you realize how good God has been to you, that, that's his grace. And notice the text says that he gives greater grace. That in the midst of everything that we go through, the text says God gives us grace. Look with me at verse, what verse is that? Verse 13, I think. I need to get my glasses. Oh, verse 6. There it is. Thank you, Jesus. Um, he also gives you sight. Uh, but check out text. He says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And when you realize that God has given his grace to you, we call it amazing grace. I did not deserve it. I could not earn it. When I wasn't faithful to him, he was still faithful to me. God has given me grace. He loved me when I didn't even love myself or knew to love him. He's given me grace. He's demonstrated his grace that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He's given you grace. If you've received the grace of God, then the proper response is to humble yourself before him. So he says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Well, how do I do that? How do we do that, James? James says in verse 7, humbly submit yourselves. Uh, give everything that is of you to God. Put it at the master's feet and submit everything. Submit your career to God. Submit your marriage to God. Submit your work, your friendships to God. Submit your pursuits to God. Submit the plans for your life to God. Submit your agenda to God. How does that look? That when I come before the Lord, I ask God, what is your will for my life? What is your will for my family? What is your will for my marriage? What is your will for my career? Because I've submitted everything unto you. You know, when God's been good to you, and you know God's been good to you, you don't have a problem giving him everything. Mm. But not only does he say humbly, humbly submit ourselves, he says then as you submit, you resist. That, that it gives you, it is actually works in tandem here. That as I submit to God, I'm letting go of the devil. You do understand the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And he doesn't make appointments. He knows exactly where you live. He knows your children. 
He knows the family you're in, and he'll come in to try and destroy some things and lure you in the wrong direction. But the more you submit to God, the further you get from the devil. The more you say yes to God, the more armed you are to face the devil. Because the reality is you can't beat a fight with the devil by yourself. But if you submit to God, God is with you. God is in front of you. God is before you. And God will defend you. That's why it says submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and the devil is going to flee. You know why the devil takes residence in our lives sometimes? It's because we haven't submitted to God. We've been trying to do it on our own. We've been trying to solve it all ourselves. Come on and just tell the truth up in here. We just tried to make it out on our own intellect and we find that we're always being defeated by the same sinfulness, by the same lures, by the same temptations. We need to get closer to God. Every day pray to the Lord. Every day get in your word. Every day submit yourself to God and God will Need you. Humbly submit yourself. But not only submit yourself, he says, draw near to him. Draw near. Get, get closer to God. Seek the Lord. Desire him. Titus 2.11 reminds us, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. Romans 12 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of service. And he says, and don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your by the renewing of your mind, that, that you might be able to discern the will of God and judge accordingly to the measure of faith that God has assigned to you. The reality is, y'all, we got to get close to God. But notice what happens when you get close to God. I'm still in the text because that, that part in the text, you remember when we read it? What, what he, said, um, he, said, he said, we should be grieving and, and mourning. Uh, Turn your laughter into mourning. What he says, uh, turn, turn your joy in, in, into grief. Wait a minute. How, you know, this is the problem sometimes of having to preach to y'all people. Because the reality is, but I say that out loud, I was thinking that. I, I wouldn't put that, that wasn't going to come out like that. Um, but, but, but really, uh, here's, here's the reality. Because sometimes we've got to be challenged by the word. You know, we say we get close to God. We say we submit to God. But you know when you submit to God, you grieve for the times you've disappointed him. When was the last time you grieved over your sin? When was the last time you shed tears over falling to temptation? When was the last time you, you felt the heart of God and how your actions toward each other has broken his heart and it's broken yours? Because if we're truly submitting to him, if we're truly humbling ourselves to him, then we will humbly repent. Repent of those conflicts that exist in our lives that we ignore, that we fail to take responsibility for. Because God is calling us to grow, to grow to be more like Christ.
place. Because fourthly, when you accept what God has done, his grace in your life, then it's, it's reflected in your relationship with others. Because you respond graciously toward other people. That's why he ended it that way where he says, you know what, um, don't, don't, don't speak against your brother. And he goes on to say, don't speak evil against one another, that, that you ought not judge each other. Why? Because we realize that had God judged us the way we are tempted to judge others, we wouldn't be in the family of God. And yet, he loves you. I asked you earlier, will you love him more? More than selfish desires. More than always wanting to be right and win every argument. More than judging and being critical of other people who are not like you. Will you love him more? Or will you receive his grace and show no gratitude? Receive his goodness and never say thank you. Jesus came to repair our relationship with God. He came that our relationship with God would be a relationship of love, of peace, of joy, of forgiveness, of righteousness. Therefore, it's incumbent upon us as we engage in a relationship with each other that that grace that we receive it's the grace that we give. And if you have been unable to extend that grace, then you're too far from him. But here's the good news. You can draw close to Christ. Today, you can draw near him. Be ready to submit. You have to be ready to humble yourself. Say, God, as a lot of times I've been trying to sit on the throne of my life, and God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for trying to play God in my own life. I'm sorry for, for rejoicing in sin and not repenting. I'm sorry for those times I, I, I justified being in a contentious, conflicting relationship with another believer. Forgive me. That's, that's what submitting to him looks like. So I invite you to bow your heads. Because the Spirit of God is calling us to come to him. We can't get our human relationships right until we get our relationship with God right. And that's coming to Christ. 
saying yes to Jesus, who's the way, the truth, and the life, who welcomes you, who welcomes you to come to him, to bring your burdens, bring your cares, bring yourself to him and receive salvation. Father, in this room, I know your spirit is at work. Thank you for your word that challenges us to look more to you, that examines us and then calls us to be drawn closer to you so that our behavior might reflect your presence in our lives. We can love better, forgive quicker, extend grace to others, and honor you in all that we do. Help us to say yes to you in this moment. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You stand all over the Thank you for joining us online. We hope today's experience encouraged and challenged you. At Champion Forest, we are passionate about all kinds of people coming to know God, to grow in their relationship with Him and others, and then to go out and make a difference in the world. We would love the opportunity to talk and pray with you. To connect with us, just go to championforce.org connect. And hey, of course, we can't wait to welcome you on campus, in person, on one of our locations. We'll see you soon.